Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Thursday morning, the 1st of June. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Yesterday, the Dáil debated the EU nature restoration law. And while there is a lot more to this legislation than re-wetting land, the focus was, as expected, on Irish agriculture. Restoring nature in this country is something many Irish farmers are already doing. Many farmers I know are passionate about the nature on their farms. They are the custodians of their lands, and many of them are embracing and engaging in agri-environmental schemes. Minister of State Pippa Hackett talking up farmers' enthusiasm for green agricultural policies. They are turning to organic farmers in the thousands, encouraged by a government who stands behind them and supports them to take these actions so they can prepare their farms for a sustainable future. Farmers want to plant native trees and they want to protect water. Some do, and there is no doubting that, but some farmers are less than enthusiastic. Over 46,000 farmers have voluntarily joined the Acre Scheme. Over 4,000 have become organic farmers, and hundreds more are engaging in life projects in specific areas across Ireland that specifically, specifically aim to restore nature and wildlife to some of our most precious habitats. Nature restoration is already happening. But there is a lot of concern about what is happening. Minister Hackett says, however, that farmers need not worry. I want to assure farmers across this country, despite what many are saying, that nobody is coming for your land. The vast majority of of re-wetting targets to be met will be met, to be met by 2030 and beyond, can and will take place on public lands. But any farmer that voluntarily wishes to take part part, will be paid to do so. That is a simple fact. And farmers are already doing this through the Farm Peat EIP. Let's discuss this now. Paul O'Brien is the IFA's Environment Chairman and on the line. Good morning, Paul. Thanks for joining us. Did Minister Hackett say enough there to reassure you? Good morning, Michael, um, and to your listeners. And um, I must admit now, this is the first time I've heard it. I was in meetings all day yesterday, and um, I, I, I did get 
see text messages to say that you know the dollar has been suspended on a couple of occasions and um and so, looking, uh, I've just been listening to what Minister Hackett has said, and um, look, I'm actually not, um, I'm nearly more concerned now than I would have been if I hadn't have heard that, because quite clearly she's failing to listen to the reasons why the IFA and our members are concerned. And um, look, the nature restoration law is being out there in some shape or form with the grand deal or the grand vision of the commission back in 2019. Mm. So we knew it was awesome. We knew it was coming but along. What, what, what is it that you're concerned about? Uh, the minister made it quite clear the government is not coming after your land, uh, and if farmers volunteer to rewet their lands, uh, they're going to get paid for it. Well, there's a couple of things there. You know, she also mentions that the government land or state-owned land will be able to be used. That's clearly not the way that we we, we see it, um, particularly, say, even Bordnemona. Bordnemona have only allowed us to put about 20% of the 80,000 hectares into, into nature restoration. So the targets are high, Michael, and I think this is what people need to understand. 30% by 2030 of the total of land that will be included in this nature restoration by 2030, a lot of that could be met possibly by state-owned land, whether Quilture or Bordnemona land, hmm. or land that the government are actually physically buying. And they bought some land up in, kind of up in Cavan, and they bought more land in Wicklow. But by the time we get to the next target, which is 2040, and also the bigger target of 70% of certain types of land to be reinstated by 2050, of which 35% of that total would need to be re-wetted. So the calculations that we've done, and I must admit now, a lot of the, we, we are living in a kind of a scenario where we're dealing with very, very vague But there is, the re-wetting can be done to different degrees. Uh, you can raise the water table by a couple of millimetres and still farm the land. Uh, the Minister has given a, a commitment there that the government is not going to obligate farmers to re-wet their land. Farmers, if they do it, will volunteer to do that and they'll be compensated. Well, describe re-wetting because millimetres we're talking not millimetres Michael we're talking maybe re-wetting or raising the water table from you know up considerably we're not talking about millimetres here because if that is the case then there's no point re-wetting in order to do this you need to raise the water table on that particular field by maybe you know by a considerable amount so we're mm. not talking millimetres we're talking major amount. Well, we're talking about maybe from about maybe 30 centimetres from the top surface. Mm. So if you're looking at an average drain or whatever, that could be three to, two to three or four feet, you're bringing it up. So we're not talking millimetres here. So, you know, you need to be clear on that. But if you are raising your water, the water level and, and, and closing up some of your dikes, you are reducing the amount of farming activity that can take place. Now, I will defend any farmer who wishes to re-wet their land. That's entirely their right. Mm. Their landowners, their, it's their property rights to do what they want with. However, nobody can describe this to us. We hear about the farm peak project that the minister talked about. I believe there's less than 60 farmers in that project, and of which there's less than 10 of them have actually adopted re-wetting measures. So to say that farmers are engaged, I don't believe is really, really true for the Minister to come out with such a statement. Right. 
she's over-egging it. Well, look, we've had since December 2019 when the European Commission announced the Green Deal and the Farm to Fork. Mm. And this was always going to be the most trickiest aspect of it because all of the other measures, they're talking about probably production reduction. But this is effectively proportions of land abandonment. So, you know, we've had since 2019 to sit down with the Commission and design a policy that can actually work. Now, I think listening to the narrative from some people to say that farmers are not engaged in biodiversity or trying to improve, mm. you know, because that's far from the truth. The reality is, is that, you know, what we want and what we're looking for is a meaningful engagement with the Commission and particularly our own government that clearly identifies the problems that have been there before with previous land designations. Now, in, t- two, in 1997, the president, president, Michael D. Higgins, signed the Habitats Directive into law. At that point, the farmers were supported, and they were told that they would always be supported. Mm. But what happened was the money dried up very, very quickly, but the land designation stayed in place. So any of your farmers in your region who were farming on SACs or um, NHAs or Nutra 2000 sites, they will know what it's like to farm within a, um, a, you know, an area that land has been designated. Okay. The, land va- the land value drops considerably. There's no financial mechanism being put in place to, to for that. Mm. But the, the, the promise of you will be supported on this journey. So you want to see the money. Is it, you, you want to see the money and you want to know how much money well, there we is. Need the detail. Yeah. We need the detail. So you're not, you're not opposed to re-wetting, you just want to know what you're going to be paid to re-wet not, the land. It's, it's not only about a financial compensation here, Michael, let's be honest. What this is effectively is, there's been no in, impact assessment done to look at the impacts it will have on that farming operation going forward. We don't know... Well, in some cases, as you say, it, it'll stop land from being farmed. I mean, that's pretty clear, isn't it? It is. And look, what is the financial mechanism going to be put in place to, 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 you know, for farmers to be able to support their families as a result of this? Well, that's the compensation. And the, compensation, uh, the, 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 the logic for it is, is that 30%, 38% of Ireland's total carbon emissions come from agriculture. Michael, you know, we're going into a different argument here. OK, let's focus on the nature restoration law as it's prescribed. We're clearly suggesting that there's an opportunity for this to be rejected at this point mm. and reintroduced again by the Commission and by the government it, it, when it they're se- fully it, sat down and spoken and described what nature restoration looks like. To it us. seems like the same argument to me, Paul, with respect. If you stop farming, uh, you stop emissions from agriculture. But, Michael, like nobody has ever described what the nature restoration really means to farmers. No one in authority, no one who's bringing this law has said... This is what this looks like to us. We don't have the um, uh, amount of land. We've been asking the National Parks and Wildlife and the Department of Agriculture to come out with a clear number that we can look at. We haven't got that. Mm. We have asked to describe what nature restoration looks like. We have no baseline figures to what what is good and what is bad. Mm. So there's no kind of line there. So clearly, you know, there's an opportunity to go back before this law comes into place, redesign it, taking into account both sides, which will ultimately improve and help biodiversity. And also, if there's an add-on effect, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, yeah. then that's fine. But this is negotiation. This is, this is what needs to happen to bring everybody with you on the journey. Okay. Paul, you mentioned the doll being suspended a, a couple of uh, times. 
Uh, that was over uh, the suggestion that an independent TD is an organic farmer. I think a lot of consumers like the idea of buying organic produce. Is it an insult to call a farmer an organic farmer? Absolutely no. No, 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 no. And most certainly I don't want an narrative to be created today. Well, that's what, that, that was the impression anybody well, would have got well, from the doll yesterday. Well, well, maybe you need to ask the people at food, food the accusation now, whether they all received the accusation and, 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 and ask them why they were triggered by it. Mm. The reality is, is that, look, organics is a growing sector. There's no doubt about that. And if um, particularly with the way that, say, European consumers are going, they are looking at an organic sector and saying, OK, we will consider that. But, you know, that's fine. I have no problem with that, Michael, whatsoever. Mm. Like, you know, it's, it, it, you know, there's many, many farmers who are now going on that journey to organics, and, and the best of luck to them, I consider it myself even. So I'm, I, I, um, I, I, I don't want a sort of a, a you know, a, a discussion really to be framed about if it's good or bad. Mm. It's people's decisions that they decide to go down organic farming, and I, I, and as long as they're supported on that journey, that's fine because it does cost considerable money. There's a lot of income for gone while you're in the period of transition. There's cost involved, so yeah, no, that's that, that's fine, Michael. Okay. But the, 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 the problem that we have is, is that look, Ireland is a very small country from a population size, but production is large. So ninety percent of our produce actually is exported. You know. The market is in Europe for organics. The market would be very, very small here in Ireland. So the organic sector is creating, is looking for the markets to be expanded in places, particularly like Germany. And I think that's where we can revolve. So, look, you'd have to ask other people whether they're triggered by the term organics. I'm not. Mm. Um, I know there's plenty of people in your region who are looking at organics and look Godspeed to them and, and, and the best of luck on that journey. Indeed. And I hope they're rewarded for their efforts. Okay, we might hear a little bit of uh, the argy bargy from uh, the doll yesterday. It was Pippa Hackett, the minister, who said Michael Collins was an organic farmer. He took offence to it. I'm not sure if it was because she had described him as an organic farmer or how she had discovered. He reckoned that at one time uh, her husband might have inspected his land. He's no longer an organic farmer, apparently. Uh, but it did lead to an awful lot of uh, disquiet uh, in the chamber yesterday. Paul, we're going to leave it there for the moment, but thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. Paul O'Brien is the Environment Chairman of the Irish Farmers Association. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. The people put bread and, and, and put food on the table. So I say to you, withdraw this legislation. We're not uh, climate deniers, but there's real science out there. There's alternatives what you're peddling and what you bought into. And those real scientists are being demonised, being getting hate mail, not being literally being cancelled. And this is a bad situation because this is going on in our country in regard to this uh, debate. Now the new ludicrous plan is to wet our lands as if one piece of land uh, won't spread to a neighbour's piece of land. And then they say here today, stop scaremongering. What the hell is wrong with you across the floor there? Scaremongering. We have the nitrates targets. Farmers are on their bended knees wanting to find out are Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael going to sell the Irish agriculture and the Irish farmers in this country because the Greens have wagged the tail and they're, they're walking down. You, you sold fisheries, you're on the verge of selling the Irish farmer and you'll never be forgotten for what you're doing here. You're going to flood all of those areas potentially if you do what you want to do, which is stop that programme. I want to condemn you in the strongest possible way and remind you what I reminded you of this morning. 
farming. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have lost rural Ireland. The Greens never had it, and that's it. This is what you're standing by and, and, and trying to, 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 to force through here without giving any clear understanding what you're at. You're not telling the people. And yes, even new word now to nature restoration, but it, it, he started out with rewaking. That's what it is. It is horrible. And, and what you're trying to do to poor people that made their land productive is to make it unproductive. All right. And, 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 and so, so they'll have to vacate it. Rural TDs, Maddie McGrath, Michael Collins, Michael Healy-Ray and Danny Healy-Ray. And while uh, that debate was going on inside the doll, a rally was taking place outside of the Dáil to restore nature. It was held by three groups, the Environmental Pillar, the Sustainable Water Network and Stop Climate Chaos. Fintan Kelly is the Policy Officer with the Environmental Pillar and on the line. And a very good morning to you, Fintan, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. Uh, I think the TDs there are articulating the fears that a, a lot of farmers have. How do you respond? I, th- I think those particular TDs are probably um, fanning the flames of, of, you know, that they've created themselves. A lot of misinformation, a lot of scaremongering. Uh, I have absolutely nothing but sympathy for farmers or anyone else that's listening to stuff like that and, and is extremely worried. Uh, I- I've just been listening to the intro there myself and I would be petrified if, if that's the kind of message that, that I was getting every day. Um, I suppose what, what we would say is that the nature restoration law is in farmers' interest, it's in society's interest. We know that we have a biodiversity and climate crisis. The government themselves declared one in, in 2019. Uh, we know that we're failing nature. 85% of our protected habitats under the Habitats Directive are in unfavourable status and they're declining. Uh, the Commission have an open court case against Ireland. Uh, for the failure to even designate 217 special areas of conservation. We've got species like curlew who are in free fall. Um, You know, nature is in crisis and we depend on nature. Okay, but we just heard Paul O'Brien of the Irish Farmers Association ask the question, how will it benefit farmers if uh, you turn land uh, into a a plot that you can no longer farm? Uh, There's no farming to be done uh, if you re-wet the land like that. Yeah, I mean, th- this is part of the misinformation around re- re-wetting, which is just one small part of the nature restoration law. But I mean, the big concern for farmers, obviously. It's, it's a massive concern, and, and, and I'll try and touch on a few of the concerns, OK? So first of all, re-wetting does not mean flooding land. Um, currently, we have farmers all over the country that are working land that would be considered wet. Right. So what, what, what And I put that to the IFA that yeah. you can increase the water table by a couple of millilitres uh, millimeters, uh, and there's different uh, ways of doing it. He was saying up to 13 millimetres and therein lies the problem from the IFA's perspective. I mean, we've, we've got farmers in the Midlands in particular participating in two EIPs, two pilot projects, uh, Farm Peat, Farm Carbon, and they're basically been funded to, to uh, raise the water table on their land. It's voluntary. Uh, it's completely up to the farmer how far they want to go. So in the same way in an agri-environmental scheme, a farmer in the burn could decide how, how they want to trade off production for um, biodiversity, and then they get rewarded for the biodiversity benefit. It's the same concept with, um, with, 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 with re-wetting. And I mean, one of the things I find particularly, um, I suppose, unusual is that there's been a particular, I suppose, um, ideological stance taken to rewetting, and I understand that because of, of the generations that, that have tried to reclaim land. But, I mean, the IFA, for example, are, are in favour of the forestry programme. 
Under Irish law, the forestry programme results in permanent land use change. Rewetting just means raising the water table. You can still farm the land. Mm. It's, 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 it's not a permanent land use change. This, these are voluntary schemes that are being proposed. Um, and another point I would make is that the targets within the nature restoration law are far less ambitious than what we've already signed up to in national policy. So the Department of Agriculture's Ag Climatise Roadmap came out in 2020. That has a, a wetting target of 12% of peat soils by 2030. Our current climate action plan has a rewetting target of 24% of peat soils by 2030. The nature restoration law is just proposing 7.5%. And on top of that, the nature restoration law allows us to totally offset all of that by rewetting things like board pneumonia industrial uh, bogs, which cut over bogs, which we're already doing. So in effect, there wouldn't be any requirements on the state to rewet private land until after 2040 to 2050. And it would only be minimum. So it's you know, possible. It's possible to do it on public lands. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. The IFA disputes that, uh, but uh, the minister made it very clear yesterday. Uh, Pippa Hackett made it very clear yesterday that this will be voluntary. That if farmers decide to rewet their lands, they'll be compensated for it. Um, how much is it going to cost? I mean. Th- that's the question I, I can't answer. What I would say is that there's two um, pilot projects that need to be upscaled mm. and they, they need to be developed into, into much bigger agri-environmental schemes. I, I think the, the, the but, time we... But who, can, who can answer that question? And I, I think that's the question that people want answered in the first instance because if nobody can answer that question, uh, then we've got a, a problem. We don't know how much it's going to cost and we don't know if the money is going to be there or if farmers are, are going to be satisfied with it and if it begins as a voluntary scheme, uh, if people aren't signing up for it, what happens then? Will they be obligated to re-wet their lands? No, there'd be absolutely no obligation as far as I'm concerned for anyone to re-wetland. The offsets that are available in nature restoration all means we won't even have to be considering rolling stuff out for another 17 years. Um, And the reality is with our own national policies that we'd be looking to do that much sooner. Uh, I actually went down and and met some of the farmers that are involved in the current projects and they were very happy. Uh, I saw another farmer on Twitter this morning saying that 30% of his farm is on cut over bog. And that he, if he had the capacity to, to uh, change the water table, maybe it would make his farm more drought resistant. So, I mean, essentially we're talking about fields on farms that are joining uh, things like raised bogs. They've got very marginal uh, farming capacity um, like currently. So really, this would create new options for farmers. It's a new option for them to voluntarily say, OK, I'm going to try this re-wedding. You know, th- there's no obligation for them to, for it to be permanent. Mm. In contrast to to forestry, as I said, which which all the farming organisations support. Okay, uh, well, you can rewet to different degrees, uh, as you say, whether it's uh, raising the water table by two millimetres or thirty millimetres. But if you raise it by two millimetres, let's say, uh, what can you farm on that land? Uh, could you sow potatoes? I it, 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 it's so rewetting is a spectrum. So if if you raise the water table to between, about thirty millimeters from the surface, the farmer won't notice notice any difference. So the kind of land uses we would currently have on that kind of land, you know, like uh, taking cuts of silage in the summer, mm. uh, grazing sucklers, those kinds of activities uh, would, would, would could could continue. And um, if a farmer opted for a more ambitious 
option to bring the water table up first or closer to the surface. They would obviously get more paid more through the scheme. And then that would li- limit maybe the stocking density or the things they could do during the winter on the land. It, it, it mightn't be uh, due to poaching. It mightn't be possible to have mm. stock on it. During but you the get a lot of rain and suddenly your crops are destroyed. I mean, that's the point I was coming to. Yeah, I, I mean, like, we, we haven't very well um, advanced polluting culture in this country. So, so that's the idea of, of putting crops on, on kind of wet soil. Mm. So you could grow things like blueberries, cranberries, etc. And those are being trialed in those um, pilot projects I mentioned. But, um, Would I you make did, a living out of blueberries and cranberries? Well, but that's what I was going to say, Michael. Mm. I, I, I'm not going to come on radio and say to farmers that they're going to make a fortune out of blueberries because th- th- these are only trials that are now happening in this country. Mm. But what I can say is that no one's going to be obliged to, to, to go over to blueberries. This is going to evolve over the next 17 years. These, these are going to be results-based schemes that farmers are going to develop in, in collaboration with, with the um, programme organisers in the same way that, that we've developed really good um, agri-environmental schemes and results-based schemes for biodiversity. I could see that we're definitely going to follow that model for um, furry wedding as well. So I, I totally understand that there's fear out there. I've been listening to the same things um, as, as farmers and everyone else has been listening to. Uh, for me, it's it's populism, it's um, opportunism. Um, groups like the EPP, Fine Gael's group in the European Parliament are chasing mm. the far right at an EU level. We've, we've no political uh, history of, of extreme right in this country. and I don't think the Irish people want to go there. So I would put it to, to, to Fine Gael, uh, Billy Keller and Fianna yeah. Fáil mm. and, and the Sinn Féin MEP and say, where are they going with this? Where mm. is their mandate coming? Because the Irish people through the Citizens' Assembly were crystal clear. Yeah. They want leadership on the border. Well, there's no doubt there's, t- there's, two, there's, there's two sides yeah. to the Fine Gael mouth on this. One is in the Oireachtas and one is in the European Parliament. We have to leave it there for the moment. Fintan, thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. Fintan Kelly, Policy Officer with the Environmental Pillar. Michael Reed on LMFM. This legislation is undoubtedly a thorny issue and with uh, temperatures as high as uh, they've uh, been uh, this week, it's probably little wonder that some got hot under the collar in uh, the doll yesterday. Now, we heard uh, from Pippa Hackett, who is a Minister of State at the Department of Agriculture, a minister but not a TD. Pippa Hackett is a senator. Uh, and senators normally speak in Shannon Aaron, not in Dáil Aaron. Very unusual for a senator to uh, address uh, the Dáil unless they are a minister because ministers do, of course, uh, address the Dáil uh, and uh, it is very unusual for a senator to be a minister. How is a senator inside here in Dáil Aaron? that was not elected to Dalian. Will you explain that to the House here? How, how, how is that happening? Okay, because deputy, I thought you were to get elected deputy, deputy, deputy. By, by the people to, to, to be in here in Dalian. Explain that to the House. You were not elected by the people. Constitution. You came in the back door. Please, deputy. No, no, we won't have any more of this. Minister Hackett is more than entitled to be here, as she Can says, in total compliance. Uh, with the con- with the Constitution. Now, now, please, please. By the way, the Bog of Allen covers a fair strip of, of County Kildare. Right. That's the Ciam Corlish Sean O'Farrell telling Danny Healy Ray uh, that uh, Senator Pippa Hackett has a right to address the doll because she is a minister. I want to call out Deputy Danny Healy Ray's nasty attack. I was elected to the Shannon and appointed to Cabinet under the Irish Constitution, which I think he should go and read. 
um, and how dare he cast assertions on my right to be here. Um, I do find his constant tirades at me in this chamber quite awful. Right, and if Pippa Hackett was offended by Danny Healy Ray, uh, you may not be too surprised given uh, how contentious this debate has been uh, that Pippa Hackett went on to offend uh, another member of uh, the Oireachtas. Many farmers I know are passionate about the nature on their farms. They are the custodians of their lands and many of them are embracing and engaging in agri-environmental schemes, including Deputy Michael Collins, who is an organic farmer. Oh my God. (laughs) Is that defamatory? I don't know. Uh, But Michael Collins was very offended at being called an organic farmer. The Minister... Uh, used my name inside the doll on private information she must have got only from her husband. I am not, I am not an organic not farmer. Correct the record of the doll, please. Correct the record. Excuse me, I have to correct because this, the, the minister has previously as well. You We've and corrected both times because you checked the records. I'm not. And the only way you've known this is previously when I was your husband inspected my farm. And on that you basis you're using that private information you and I you're using that private information from the organic trust. To, to point the finger at me. I am not. You, you, you prove to me what you said with the Excuse me, that young girl. This lady has mistreated. Spread you beg the indulgence of the doll to make a clarification. You've made that clarification. Okay, it's become an interaction, which I'm not allowed. What you say? Yes, sir. No, yes, can you, no, 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 no resume here. your seat. Minister, can stand up inside. That they would have got no last young caller. I have to defend my colleague. I have to defend my colleague. Because you cannot have a situation where a person would use private information. Okay. If you don't resume your seat, I'm going to suspend. No, no, but resume I have to. No, 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 the minister can't use that private information. Okay. No. I'm going to say no, 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 the minister is suspended. That's what you said, I was. I am not. The doll is suspended. The minister used private information. Right, and Michael Healy Ray was insistent. He had to defend his colleague. Can you, no, 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 resume your seat. The minister can stand up inside. That they would have got no last young caller. I have to defend my colleague. I have to defend my colleague. Because you cannot have a situation where a person would use private information. If you don't resume your seat, I'm going to suspend. No, no, but I have to. No, no, the minister can't use that private information. No. I'm going to say the doll is suspended. No, no. The minister is suspended. That's what you said. I was. I am not. The doll is suspended. The minister used private information. Right. uh, The Punch and Judy show ended there with uh, the doll being suspended for five minutes. Uh, When it resumed, uh, the Punch and Judy show resumed. We're back in session. There's no point of order, Deputy Deputy Collins. There's there's no point of clarification. Because the record has to be corrected here. Okay, then you take it up with the Cancorla, Deputy. Good, good. I'm going to... This is a very serious... Deputy, Deputy, resume your seat. Deputy, Deputy, resume your seat. Please. Resume your seat for a moment. Resume your seat for a moment. Thank you. Okay. Resume your seat, please. Okay. The last Cancor
corrected here, and if she corrected here at all, I don't know, we all make mistakes, and I accept that. Deputy, you've but continued now, and I'm on my feet, and I rarely do that. Sorry. I rare, no, I rarely do that. De please, this is my last time. I will suspend the doll again. I rarely stand on my feet. This is not acceptable behaviour. It's not acceptable behaviour. I allowed a point of clarification. That's enough. You've, if you have any difficulty with that, you're going to take it further and make whatever complaint you like. No. I'm now, I'm now well, continuing. I'm, and, and I'm now continuing. You're out of order. Yes, you are completely and utterly. Resume your seat. Who behaved Deputy, resume your seat. Are you going to resume your seat? Are you going to resume your Okay. You're leaving me no choice. The minister deputy is a resume. disgrace. Deputy. And she should come in here and apologise De to Deputy, deputy Collins for what she has done here today. She deputy, resume your seat, please. Okay. And she disclosed private I'm now, I am now suspending the doll once again because of disgraceful behaviour that's unacceptable. It's now five to five and I'm suspending the doll. Thank you. Mm, all right. Well, uh, it was a fairly serious accusation, wasn't it? Calling Michael Collins uh, an organic farmer. Uh, you can imagine him going down to the pub in Cork over the weekend. Go on, you big organic farmer. <laughs> that was our parliament. Uh, that was... Uh, brought to a halt on two different occasions yesterday uh, with uh, the last Corla having to suspend uh, the sitting uh, because of uh, the shenanigans uh, on two occasions. Uh, John Conlon is in Cartown in Ballymckenney and John, thank you for your WhatsApp message. He says, all land is re-wetted already and the government are rubbing their hands uh, together. They didn't have to part with any money. Uh, thanks uh, for that. Uh, somebody listening uh, to... Uh, that interaction uh, that we played a, a moment ago, WhatsApping, saying more like a circus, clowns and all. Thank you indeed uh, for your WhatsApp message uh, if you have been in touch with us. Uh, if you want to make contact with us today, you can give us a call. Our telephone number is 041-983-2000. You can text or WhatsApp 086-1800-658. And as always, you can email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, some reaction uh, to uh, that uh, piece of footage we heard from uh, the doll and uh, the argument that went on, how it was suspended a couple of times. Breege said she had to turn it off. Uh, she says, your prog- programme's gone to the dogs screaming and shouting. Had to switch it off. I've never done that before. Maybe I'm just getting old or something. The people in the doll are getting well paid to listen. Uh, and there's no pleasure in it. The pleasure uh, that was in it has gone out of it for me and I enjoyed it over the years. Uh, Cahill in Mornington was in touch and he says, every time you pay play a clip from the leaders in the doll, I can't help but think of the two lads up in the balcony in the Muppet Show, Waldorf and Stadler. Thank you, Cahill. Uh, I don't know. I think that might be an insult to Waldorf and Stadler. Uh, they might prefer being called an organic farmer than uh, <laughs> TDs after what we heard. Uh, thank you uh, for that. Uh, on to the 
subject itself of restoring nature and re-wetting lands. Somebody says in a WhatsApp message, re-wetting land in a country that it never stops raining, but for a couple of weeks a year, it's hilarious. Uh, another text, uh, WhatsApp from Tom, says, I don't think the main problem was calling him an organic farmer, but more how she obtained the information. Conflict of interest, if ever there was, says uh, Tom. You may be right, Tom. Uh, we'd uh, a different Tom than in touch Uh, about the interview that we did yesterday with uh, the man who had been abused by Michael Shine, took his complaints to the guardee and was let down, he says, by at least three guardi, including one of them who asked him to write a letter of uh, apology to the paedophile. Uh, Tom in touch about that, he says, your interview with that man yesterday was a powerful and emotional piece of work. The courage he showed to us all in his persistence to do the right thing to help others has to be fully commended and I thank him so much. To be treated this way by the guardie is sickening to the pit of my stomach and to think of what he he and his brother had to endure time after time when all along they were really sticking two fingers up behind his back. Uh, I've said it from day one. The state knew from a very early stage that Michael Shine uh, was uh, interfering with people. They knew what he was doing but turned a blind eye. The state has to step up and be accountable for this man and the 350 other men who were once young boys. Thank you, Tom, indeed. Uh, There was a call from Dermot uh, in line with that. Uh, He says he wants to pay tribute uh, to the guest on the programme yesterday for shining a light on his experience with the guards when he tried to report his abuse. It's important that abuses of power like this are made public and behaviour like this needs to be weeded out. He says he wishes that your guest gets the justice he deserves. Mary, thank you as well. She says it was heartbreaking listening uh, to that man yesterday. The poor man went through so much much and it was amazing to hear him be able to speak so honestly and articulately about such a painful experience. He showed immense courage by speaking up in the manner that he did and should be commended for doing so. His courage will be a beacon of hope for other victims. Martin was in touch with us too. It really struck a chord. Um, uh, He says fair play to that gentleman for going public with what happened to him both with Shine and with the Gardaí. It took a huge amount of courage to do that. It's vital that any inappropriate behaviour by Gardaí is highlighted and it needs be weeded out there's no room for it Paul in touch too a victim of Michael Shine himself he says he was assaulted in 1983 just like the man uh, we were speaking to yesterday he says he's 51 now and he's still suffering because of what happened to him something like that never leaves you Mike says uh, Mike in touch too Mike says his heart went out to that man after hearing everything he went through it's horrific enough that he was abused by Shine and had to suffer that ordeal but then to be treated like that by Gardy when he tried to report it it's even all the more horrifying how on earth did Gardy involved think that they could treat him that way it's like the poor man was abused on the double once by Shine and then by then again by Gardy after being forced to apologise to the monster who had hurt him Mike just wanted to wish the man in question all the very best for the future and to praise him for having the courage to speak out. I'll give you one more of the comments that has come to us uh, from Sheila who rang to compliment uh, that gentleman on the courage he showed by telling his story. She says he deserves to get answers for how he was treated and is owed an apology as well. She hopes that his bravery will encourage other victims who may have been afraid to speak out to come forward and tell their stories. Thanks to everybody who's been in touch and I think uh, credit where it's due to the man and I'm delighted that so many people have recognised his courage 
and bravery uh, and indeed as somebody said his persistence uh, and thank you uh, for getting in touch with us. Now today the 1st of June is uh, the beginning of Hemochromatosis Awareness Week. It runs up until the 7th of June. Let's speak to Jim Jackman who's a member of the Irish Hemochromatosis Association. Good morning to you Jim and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme today. I understand you were diagnosed uh, with uh, this condition six years ago. Tell us about your story. Um, good morning, Mike. Yeah, I was diagnosed about six or seven years ago. Uh, I'm six, I'm, I was 60 years of age at the time and I was really shocked to find out I had such a very well-known condition which I, did, which I, I knew nothing about. Uh, and what's more, uh, I passed it on. I told my sister about it, my brothers, and my sister also discovered that she had it. And in talking about the condition today, I'll also be referring to my sister. Okay, uh, because it, it runs in families. And to put it simply, it's too much iron in your blood, is it? Yeah, basically, hemochromatosis, it's an inherited disorder, um, which is not contagious. Uh, one in 83 people in Ireland have it, probably more. And as I as I said, I have it, and it causes basically our bodies to observe too much iron from our diets. Like we all need a certain amount of iron to survive, but people with hemochromatosis keep producing iron. It's, it's very much like a saucepan of milk on a cooker. Once it's boiled, the milk keeps spilling over, and it's our bodies are, are the same with iron. It just keeps producing iron, and in the end, it goes into our blood. It's very important that it goes into our blood. But also, because of too much of it, it goes into our livers, our pancreas, our joints, our hearts. It goes everywhere. And if it's not detected, it definitely would cause very severe damage, as happened to my own father. Mm. And it will eventually kill you, which mm. also happened to my dad as well. Uh, and to your father's father, I understand. As well. uh, and my father's father, he was, uh, he, 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 he was only 57 years of age when he died. My father, my own father was 58 years of age. Far too young. And absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And very preventable when you're diagnosed. Um, it, it's a change in diet, uh, essentially, is it? No, uh, there's, about the, about the thing with hemochromatosis, it's very complicated for, for doctors to diagnose. Like, the the early stages, there's, there's absolutely no evidence signs of it at all. It takes many years for significant iron overload to occur in the body. And it takes... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Even more years for organ and tissue damage to become evident. And uh, uh, indeed, in advanced cases, patients don't display clear and telltale symptoms that they have the condition. So um, to, to find out what, to, that you have it, um, you'd be looking out for symptoms like chronic f- fatigue. And my wife would always say that I was falling asleep a lot. And my old sister has suffered a lot from tiredness. Um, a joint pain and aches. You know, I, ha- I, have, I had all of that. The other thing was um, severe abdominal pain. And I used to remember my dad back in the 80s, and he was in terrible pain. He'd be, he'd be knotted over, and you bring him down to the hospital, and they might give him iron tablets or something like that. Oh, but um, they, they, were some of the, they, they were some of the issues. It's complicated. It's mm. complicated. Okay. Uh, and uh, can uh, be very debilitating uh, and all the more serious, uh, as you say. Uh, but uh, in terms of uh, the frequency of it, uh, it's very commonplace here. In fact, it's called the Celtic gene, is it not? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. Uh, we had a photo shoot for the, the uh, Irish Hemochromatosis Association yesterday in uh, Salons in County Mead. And uh, David Beggy was along there. You know David well. And he's, he's absolutely absolutely brilliant in our association. He's actually on the board and he's spoken out about it a lot. So David was there to be the ambassador. But also, I can tell you this morning, that Tommaso Leary, the former cork hurler, Munster player and Ireland player, uh, were there to, to represent the association for the next year. And I was just talking to David after the photo shoot. And he was saying that uh, he he, play, he played with two very well-known players. I won't mention their names, and uh, they didn't want to know they had hemochromatosis. Uh, and in fact, um, we also mentioned that in Derry, in the city of Derry, or the, the, the region of Derry in Northern Ireland, one in ten people have the condition. And uh, I, I was able to relate. I, I, I play music in a choir in Castlock, where I live. Uh, we're, uh, one Sunday playing music in the choir there was 13 of us in the choir 13 at one tree and three of us in the, the choir have full-blown hemochromatosis it's that common mm. uh, and uh, if people are concerned they can uh, get tested for it can they? Yeah, the, the, the thing to be looking out for with hemochromatosis, if there's a snip of it in your family, uh, if any, anybody, if you hear of anybody in your family, cousins, extended, second cousins, whatever, uh, that, that have, might have hemochromatosis, um, it's, it's no harm to say to your GP, listen, will you check my, my blood for for iron, for, for iron, I'm just concerned that uh, there, might, there might be hemochromatosis in the family. Uh, the other thing I would say, watch out for the tiredness, watch out for the stiffness. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's very non-specific, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, all, it's really important to understand. It's so common in Ireland that we have to be looking out for it. All right, well, you have it, Jim. Your sister has it. How do you live with it? Uh, no, it's it's a, it's a it's a very once you know you have it, it's a very easy to condition to live with, uh, and you don't have to take any medicine. The, the the bottom line here is there's too much iron in your blood, so what you do is you go along. Once you, once you're diagnosed, you go along 
um, your local hospital, which is in, in, up around your area, is the Lady of Lourdes Hospital up in uh, Drogheda. And so they have a brilliant nurse-led uh, team in, in the Bobotomy team up in, in Drogheda. And they run a really good operation up there. And they're, they're very aware. They have about seven, uh, 700 patients ongoing. So you go up and you give, give your point of blood, probably... When you find out you have, of course, you probably be given a point of blood every week or every second week until your levels come way down. Uh, but but, but giving blood is the main thing. You don't you don't take medication. The other thing is you have to keep an eye on your diet. You don't eat too much steak, and you have to watch your drinking. Uh, that would be important as well. Mm, and avoid foods with iron in them, obviously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You just eat a balanced diet. Eat a balanced diet. Now, um, I, I would like, like to make a, a special people, a special appeal, sorry, to people who already know they have hemochromatosis. And a lot of your listeners out there have hemochromatosis. I want all of you um, this week um, from now on to tell people, tell your family, tell 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 anybody you know that you have hemochromatosis there's nothing to be ashamed of it's the genetic disorder it's it's a very Irish condition and uh, it's very very important that you tell people and also like to, to think to yourself say if somebody within your family died or got severe illness from having hemochromatosis and you knew, you knew that hemochromatosis was in the family how would you feel uh, I'd also like to sort of make a special appeal to say well-known personalities who have hemochromatosis and who haven't spoken about it, as I said, David Beggy is absolutely brilliant. He's doing he's doing great work for us, and he really he's really letting the message be out there. Mm. And when you think of your father and uh, your grandfather passing uh, away as young as they did, uh, it's certainly worthwhile. All of us thinking about it, and particularly this awareness week. Jim, thank you indeed for joining us uh, today. Jim Jackman is a member of the Irish Hemochromatosis Association. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, yesterday, the Dáil voted in favour of people-before-profit legislation which would make abortion more accessible than it currently is in this country and in line with uh, the report, the review into existing services by the barrister Marie O'Shea, who, along with Dr Catherine Conlon, was in front of uh, the Oireachtas Health Committee yesterday, which heard how some women who want to terminate a pregnancy are denied an abortion. It's one of the things that's mentioned in the report when we come to monitoring and evaluation, that it would be good to get an understanding of where people are refused to termination of pregnancy here, what did they do next? That, I think, is a very important thing from designing public health services to have that knowledge. Um, we have numbers that indicate to us when we look at countries, and there are very few countries that do it, that disaggregate their figures, so that England and Wales will indicate how many people um, had abortion services over there who provided Irish addresses. Um, we know the same from the Netherlands. So we know that from those figures that Irish people are still travelling. I know anecdotally... Are they travelling to the same extent as before the Definitely not. No, absolutely not. I think if you how, look... How much at, of a difference do we know? Very much. I think very much of the figures from um, England would show that, I suppose, at the height, I think, in 2016, you had probably just over 6,000 people would have travelled to England and now it's down to the hundreds. 
And if I could come in, one of the things Sorry. that we are noting though, those statistics is that the numbers travelling under the fatal fetal anomaly ground have, con have <coughs> stayed quite steady. So travelling because of access for fetal anomaly has not changed significantly with the implementation of the Act in Ireland. Right, that's uh, Marie O'Shea and Dr Catherine Connell. Let's speak uh, to Independent Senator Ronan Mullen. A very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. You hold a, a pro-life view. Uh, I, I think uh, most of our, our listeners uh, would know. But uh, have you lost the argument now or long ago, as the case may be? Well, I suppose you've never lost the argument as long as you're hanging in there trying to present what I believe strongly has always been a human rights message, which is that everybody deserves a shot at life. Top quality medical care for women in pregnancy you know, should be compatible with always working uh, to protect um, the life of the unborn baby. Now, I think we're in a truly tragic situation, Michael, here, because things are certainly going in the wrong direction at the moment. You had this report, supposedly an independent uh, person we were told but certainly not independent yesterday intervening personally talking about it was time to have the courage to change laws this report because ignored laws are failing women you just heard that hundreds of women still have to go abroad to get an abortion they terminate their pregnancies but they just can't do it here so they are put through that ordeal on top of the ordeal of terminating a pregnancy well, I have great sympathy for any woman who's in a situation of, 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 of pregnancy and in crisis about it. And I think the solution is to provide alternatives to abortion, um, just as we say in other areas. But that people don't want them. I mean, if they're going over to England or the Netherlands or Wales um, because we won't get, provide that service here uh, to avail of that service there, they obviously don't want alternatives. I accept that there's, look at, look at the legislation that passed last night at second stage in the Dáil that seeks to address that and what is it doing? It's decriminalising abortion completely, so any abortion at any stage up to birth would not carry any sanction. Removing the waiting period of three days, which on the basis of HSE statistics we know that about 4,000 women, just under 4,000 women, didn't go for a second appointment and it can only be concluded that the majority of those was because people changed their mind that's the value of a three-day waiting period. But those politicians who want to get rid of that, as the legislation last night would get rid of it, are indeed the supposedly independent chairperson of this report that you heard from yesterday, who didn't even consult the HSE research, which showed, in answer to Dáil questions, that 3,951 women did not return for a second and final abortion appointment. Instead, they relied on an activist group of doctors who were basically suggesting that as little as 2% actually might have changed their mind or might have not gone through with the abortion when it's mm, more like right. 17%. Well, we don't I think know. We don't know. we don't know. Well, I think what it tells you well, is... Well, it doesn't tell us anything because we don't know. I think what it tells you is, Michael, that you had people doing a report here who were supposed to be independent but had no interest in talking. They no, didn't she, interview. she explained that it wasn't in the terms of reference. Um, no, sorry, we but don't sorry, know. Michael, under questioning from Pather Tobin, yeah. they admitted that they didn't interview a single woman who didn't go forward for the second interview and why and whether they changed their mind as a result of the three-day waiting period. They didn't look at the issue of precautionary uh, pain relief for the late-term abortions. We have better laws in this country to protect animals in the context of surgery than we do in terms of precautionary pain relief for uh, children in the, in the certain amount of late-term abortions that take place. We have a government, and I had this out with a government senator yesterday on radio 
the Gaeltacht that when I asked them, did the government have any interest in reducing abortion rates? They will not say that they have because they don't. Mm. So they want the... A lot of politicians in the Oireachtas now want a free-for-all on abortion, and that's what you saw yesterday when you had, at the second stage, Breed Smith's bill passed. And it's just worth your listeners hearing what, what, what that legislation passed by 67 to 64. It's obviously not going to be well, law we'll, yet. Well, we'll come back to that. Uh, yeah, because uh, it shows how, well, how just, dramatically just inhumane let's stay, Just let's not move on so quickly. Just, just, just take one point at a, a time, if you don't mind, Ronan, because um, you're uh, suggesting that uh, the women uh, who... Uh, this, uh, what did you say, 4,000 women um, decided not to have an abortion because they had to wait the three days. Was that the... I, I'm, I'm not suggesting that. What yeah, I'm saying But the, the is fact is we don't know what happened. Can I just tell you well, what no, I know? No, 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 just... Because just I'm not going to hide anything from you, Mike. Can, can you hold on a second is all I'm saying to you? Because uh, we want to hear from the barrister Marie O'Shea again on that. I think, I suppose one has to always tread with a little bit of caution here. I don't recommend that the contract with the GPs be changed because that provides for three visits. If the first visit is to time the pregnancy and take informed consent, the second visit is for the administration of the medication. There may be people, and GPs would refer to situations where they are consent, they are taking consent from people, and, and that involves, you know, seeing whether the person has given due consideration to the decision, and they say they're able to recognise that, they're able to recognise hesitancy, and in those circumstances they do recommend that people have a reflection period. So I think that to have a reflection period, or to have the option of having a reflection period is very important. I think it's important that the GP contract wouldn't change in that regard, but I don't think it should be um, mandatory. Okay, so Maria O'Shea is asking us to trust the GPs. They will know if somebody is hesitant, and they would be able to ask them to wait three days. Is that not enough? Well, you see, Marie O'Shea didn't have any interest in the HSE research and figures which show that between 2019 and 2021, 3,951 women did not return for the second and final abortion appointment. Now, some of those may have been because there were miscarriages, a small number. Some of those, a very small number, might have gone to England for whatever reason, but yeah. we know that very few were going to England. Mm. But only a reasonable conclusion is that a result, as a result of that three-day waiting period, um, an awful lot of women, let's say between two and 3,000 if you want to estimate it conservatively, clearly benefited from that reflection period. Now, this is the only law we have which involves a medical procedure, which involves uh, the ending of a life of another person. But do you not believe if, that women can Michael, decide Michael, that can themselves? I just, can I just develop the point? If we introduce euthanasia in this country, and I'm on the, and, and I hope we don't, but I'm on the uh, Committee on Assisted Dying, you, you know, in other countries where something as, as, as determinate of, of human life as euthanasia is, for example, it would be quite common to have precautionary reflection periods in order to ensure that people aren't coerced into importance, that people aren't abused, that there is time that there is time to reflect on something because this the, 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 the consequences the recommendation are here is to trust GPs when that is appropriate and when it's not appropriate for example if a woman went to the doctor yesterday and said I'm pregnant I'd like to terminate the pregnancy all the doctor could have said to her is come back on Tuesday that's nearly a week later I'm saying to you that if that has saved a couple of thousand lives what is your attitude to that well, what about the woman who has to carry that baby around for a week after making the decision uh, and 
being denied access to a service that is freely available, legally available under the Irish health system. Yeah, and it is a service that she will have eventually if, if, if she wanted. That's the law we now have. But you know, don't you, that that service ends the life of her unborn child? I know that it terminates her pregnancy uh, and that that is the decision that she has made and one that she's legally entitled to make and that one that has to be respected, does it not? Well, it is for the legislators of this country to decide. The, the Constitution, when it was changed, gave the Dáil and the Shannad the freedom to determine how much abortion or how little abortion would be allowed in this country and in what circumstances would be allowed. Now, what I am saying, as somebody that wants to see both mothers and babies uh, uh, protected, that it is not nothing that as a result of this three-day waiting period, up to, potentially up to 3,951 of the 20,000 women, and that, by the way, is a vast increase on our abortion rates before we legislated. Our abortion rates have gone up massively, and Mary O'Shea and her committee had no interest in interrogating that aspect of the, of the situation either. We are in a situation of national tragedy when it appears that an awful lot of our politicians and the great and the good who now run our health service see it as a regrettable matter that there might be two or three thousand children alive today uh, because they would rather... But we don't uh, know it, that. Well, we know that a very considerable number of that 3951 survived because there was a precautionary waiting period. We and that is not a lot to ask when you're talking about ending the life of another person. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment. Uh, our time is up, but thank you indeed, as always. Uh, Michael, can I just say one thing? I hope at some point, and I'm always grateful to you for having me on, I hope at some point you will have a government spokesperson on and ask them why the government no longer has a policy or an interest in reducing Irish abortion rates. Or Irish abortion rates. I think that is... I think the answers to that would be terribly revealing and interesting to your listeners. And I'd be encouraging people to get on to their TDs and senators, particularly the government ones, to ask them for more humane abortion laws and to start talking to them about the need for precautionary pain relief in terms of the late-term abortions. We're in a bad situation and people need to get very active about it. OK, thanks as always for joining us on the programme today. Independent Senator Ronan Mullen. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, the Social Democrats used their private members' time in the Dáil yesterday to highlight uh, the difference uh, between how we're living in uh, this country today and how we were living in this country a uh, uh, number of years ago. They compared the figures uh, from 1991 to 2016. In 1991, 79.3% of us uh, owned our own houses. Uh, that to 67.6% in 2016. In 1991, 8% of people were renting a property. That compared to 18.2% in 2016. Uh, undoubtedly, those figures uh, would be even more stark uh, if you were to look at them in today's terms. Uh, but uh, we'll discuss this now and uh, people's right to own their own home, uh, which was uh, the thrust of this motion with Social Democrats. TD for Dublin Northwest, West, 
Oisin Shorthall and Fianna Fáil Senator Lisa Chambers. Good morning to both of you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. Uh, there's a lot of people who can only dream of owning their own home at this stage, Roisin Shorthall. Uh, and uh, you say it's become increasingly unlikely for people because of government policy and you called on the government to stop incentivising this model which makes owning your own home unlikely. Uh, Good morning, Michael. Yes, that's right. Um, We're concentrating on these incredible changes that are taking place in relation to housing. And, uh, you know, in spite of the Taoiseach saying that it's his priority to increase home ownership, um, the opposite is actually happening as a result of government policies in recent years. So, you know, uh, it was the case previously that uh, a very large number, 60% of those aged between 25 and 35, owned their own home. That figure has now slumped to 27%. It's more than halved. And this is as a direct result of housing policies where we're not building um, sufficient housing to meet the need. And much of the housing, the majority of housing that is being built at the moment is apartment developments. And I'm nothing against apartments if they're a decent size and with proper facilities. But the vast majority of those apartments are built to rent. It's a category that the government introduced a few years ago, built to rent which means that they're lower standard and they will never be available to buy. So, as I say, it's as a direct result of government policies that we're now seeing a huge reduction in the number of people who can own their own homes. But also we're seeing a very large increase in rents and in the price of homes. So Go- Go- government says the opposite, of course. Uh, I mean, I think everybody agrees that there's a problem, a significant problem, a crisis, whatever word you want to put on it. Uh, but I don't know how many times we heard yesterday that uh, the Social Democrats are, are part of uh, the problem by uh, objecting to planning permission. Darrell O'Brien, the Minister for Housing, accused you of doing that uh, about a scheme in Oscar Trainer Park. Okay, and I'm very happy to deal with that because we're not just talking about numbers. You know, it's not a question of any housing will do. We need to ensure that the housing that is being built actually meets local need. And it's done in a sustainable point way from a cost perspective. But what the government is doing now is building housing in the most expensive way, providing social housing in the most expensive way. And then that kind of impacting on people who are trying to either rent or or buy their own homes. So there's a huge mismatch between what the government is doing and what local housing need uh, demands. So let's talk about some of the schemes. I, generally speaking, in my own constituency, I will make submissions in relation to applications for planning permission for high-rise build-to-rent apartments, because that's not what's needed in the suburbs of Dublin. People want to buy their own homes, and also those apartments should be available to purchase and they should be a decent standard. Um, So I would make submissions on that, pointing out that government policy is wrong. In relation to Oscar Trainer Road, what's happening there is It is a good scheme. There's a good mix of of housing in it. But the way the government is doing it is that they're selling that land to private developers and then buying back housing for social housing and affordable housing at very high prices. So again, we're seeing the model is wrong where the government is... uh, 
handing over responsibility to private developers whose, you know, bottom line is about maximising their profit. Mm. And that results in very expensive housing, either for the individual purchasers or for the state. OK, let me go to Lisa Chambers. People don't want to live in high-rise build to rent uh, apartments. They don't want flats, they want houses. And Roisin Shorthall made the point in uh, the Dáil yesterday that uh, only 2% of all housing planning permissions in Dublin last year were for actual houses. Uh, is that not dismal? Uh, good, good morning, Michael, and good morning to Roisin. I just want to briefly deal with the Oscar Trainer site that, that Deputy Shortall spoke about there. Um, that is a housing development in the Deputy's own constituency that she has objected to year after year, and that is now going to be delivered under the Affordable Housing Fund put in place by this government. And people living in that area want those properties and want those homes for their sons and daughters. So, you know, if we keep, if we keep objecting to housing because we don't like the type of development we won't get houses built. That's the long and short of it. So I think it's important just to, to clarify that. Scene, so what what you're claiming point. there, Lisa, is not accurate. Can't keep objecting. You can't keep objecting to housing and then asking for housing delivery because you don't like the type of development or the nature of it. That, that project is going ahead now. But, Thankfully, what and you're saying will be delivered. Accurate there. And I want to actually. Okay, so I want to. Okay, yeah, yeah, but let Roisin Shorthall back in because she's questioning what you've said. Okay, so yes, I objected to the City Council selling a public site, a very good public site, to private developers. I don't think that makes any sense. We should be building affordable homes on state-owned land. That's not what was done in relation to Oscar Trainer. And what, uh, the point I've made there is having sold the land to private developers, we now have the government subsidising the cost of social housing on that land. Whereas they could have both they could they could have developed that land mm. themselves for social and affordable housing and done that at a much more competitive price. It's a it's a it's a very good point, is it not, Lisa Chambers? Uh, have we uh, the wherewithal to build social housing? We do, and we are building social. So why housing, why not are, there? Why are, sell off public land? We, 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 we're not going to build on every plot of land across the country. From well, how many plots of land are we building on? I mean, here's one specific if site that we're talking question, about. Michael, if I could answer the yeah. question to respond to the deputy's, the deputy's point, we have lots of different planning projects across the country. Some will be delivered by the state, some will be delivered by private developers. There's nothing wrong with that. that that's fine. We want homes delivered. But it is a little bit rich to hear opposition parties objecting to developments in their own constituencies and then coming into the doll and saying, we want more homes built because they didn't like the that's way not it was true. being done. And that's, that's, that's not true. You're like misrepresenting the, the situation. You didn't like the way it was being done and you're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not supporting that housing development. But I, if I can put on the record some of the projects that are happening, that again, the, the, the Social Democrats, uh, and might I add as well, Michael, I'd, I'd urge people to Google Social Democrats housing policy and look and see what's on, what's on their website. It is three pages long. I have more notes in front of me this morning for this radio interview than, than is the length of the Social Democrats' housing policy. So for a party, if they're serious about developing housing and delivering housing, they'll need to add a little bit more detail to that very, very slim uh, housing policy. So if we look at what the government is doing in terms of what it's done in the last three years, and bearing in mind that's in the context of the first year and a half we were in a pandemic, construction was shut down for a period. It is important, I think, to be reasonable and acknowledge that. We have war in Ukraine, a war in Europe that's impacting supply chains and costs of building materials, and we have restrictions on labour as well. So we don't have enough builders in the country and tradespeople to build at the pace we would like to build. So that is the context within which we are operating. And if anybody is being reasonable about it, they will at least, opposition politicians should at least acknowledge that. 
We've brought in the Affordable Housing Act, the Social Democrats opposed it. The Land Development Agency Act, the Social Democrats opposed it. The Planning and Development Act, the Social Democrats opposed it. So they're very quick to say more needs to be done. Okay, well, let's hear more. Roisin Shortall. ...initiatives by this government. Thank you, you, Michael. And Lisa has been peddling this uh, misinformation for some time. If anybody looks at our uh, website, you'll see that there is a separate housing document. Uh, It's a 23-page document. It is one of umpteen documents that the Labour Party has produced over recent years that uh, is about housing and the various aspects. Did you say the Labour Party? Homelessness. I think she did. (laughs) Roisin, was that a Freudian slip? (laughs) Sorry, I beg your pardon. I, I think you said the Labour um, Party. Sorry, I, I have that as a point in front of me in relation to the Labour Party. Um, I, I'm saying what the Social Democrats have on their website, and I'd invite Lisa to check that, is a 23-page uh, housing document. It's one of a number of documents that we have that deal with the various aspects of the housing crisis in relation to homelessness, in relation to rising rents, in relation to rising house prices. Now, we have to deal with all of these issues and we know that the the crisis in housing is having a massive impact uh, on people generally, but particularly on younger people. And what's happening is younger people, even in decent jobs, cannot afford to live uh, in this country, either renting or buying. And the principal point I want to make is that what government has been doing in recent years is abdicating responsibility for the provision of housing. They have been using housing policies that very much uh, incentivize the private sector in terms of developers who, ma- who want to maximise their profit. And the government needs to be engaged in a building and a procurement programme that ensures that we have an adequate number of houses for the people who want to live in this country and that we do that. And we're doing that, that We're doing that. Whether mm. renting or, or buying, that. that is not the case, Lisa. And will you face Well, if I can ask you a question, your, your party... Well, just before you do... I, 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 let's, I, I, let's just look at the North East. Well, just, bef- just, just before you do, um, I, I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not sure what you were Googling, uh, Lisa Chambers, uh, but it's very clear that there's a 23-page document on the Social Democrats' website uh, to do with housing. Do you accept that? I've got, um, I've, got a, I've got a document in front of me, socialdemocrats.ie, and it says Stockdown's housing policy document, and it's three pages and it's dark. Well, you asked us to Google it. So, We've Googled it, yeah, and there's a 23-page document on the website. Um, well, if, uh, maybe there's a different document there, but that's the document that came up. Maybe there is I'm a different document there. I'm scrolling through it. Lisa, Lisa through just grow up on this stuff, will you? Anyway, and, and stop talking about the crux like of the, 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 the issue. In terms of housing delivery, of housing delivery, if I can make a point, Michael, because I think Roshi's had quite a bit of time on this. Well, I think you both um, have. Go so on. The Social Democrats are advocating to scrap the, the Help to Buy scheme and they would also get rid of the First Home Equity scheme. That's €100,000 of direct support to help people own their own home. Mm. We also have seen in the first quarter... But the Help to Buy scheme the help to buy scheme uh, um, uh, is uh, to help people buy more expensive houses than they would otherwise be able to uh, afford. Uh, no, sorry, Michael, it's not. The Help yeah, to Buy it is. is giving people back their own taxes. So 36 no, no, it is. The Help to Buy scheme where they got their own tax back to put towards their deposit. I think those people would say they were quite happy to get that support. Of course the they were. Equity scheme. Of course they were. Instead, of buying, instead of buying a house for 180000 like most first-time buyers, they went out and bought one for 300000 
Roisin, Roisin Shorthall, that scheme, that scheme is being criticised by the Social Democrats, but not just by the Social Democrats. Uh, correct me if I'm Absolutely. wrong, but it was criticised by the ESRI uh, and others, was it not? That's, that's right. Yeah. And, and Michael, it was found that 40% of people availing of that scheme didn't actually need support. There were people who had high incomes anyway, and they had their own deposit. So, you know, that doesn't make any sense at all. But what we need to, to do is to down the Let her finish, Lisa, and I'll come back to you. Let me to finish. What is needed is a fundamental change in policy so that we're driving down the cost of housing to make housing available to people, whether they want to rent or buy it. And that's not the situation at the moment. And Michael, I just said to you there, let's look at the situation in your catchment area in the northeast and see what's happening. Rents in Loud went up by over 9% in the first three months of this year. Now, that is completely unsustainable. So the average listed rent now in Loud is 15, over 1500 per month. If we look at house prices for those who want to purchase houses, in Loud and Mead, uh, the, the, the prices increased in the first three months of this year. House prices went up by 7.5% in Mead and 9% in Loud. Mm. And the average price of a three-bedroom, you know, has gone up very substantially. And there are more than 5,000 people on Loud's uh, housing waiting list. Now, how can Lisa possibly say to us that the housing policy... Okay, we'll conclude on that. Lisa Chamber, the highest rents ever, the highest house prices ever, and the highest number of people homeless ever. Well, the, the what point I made at the outset was social democrats are very good at pointing out what they see as being the problem. So we have heard no solutions or policy ideas from that side. So I'll just make that point. In terms well, there's of twenty three pages, there's twenty three pages on their website. And and yet, yeah. Roisin Shortall hasn't articulated any policy ideas on the show this morning when asked when asked directly by you about her own. Oh well, we think so people have heard of, them. In terms of in terms I'm of happy to um, talk about delivery. That. In terms of housing delivery, in the first quarter of this year, we've had more than 10,000 mortgage drawdowns. Half of those were first-time buyers. We have, for the first time ever in the country, cost rental apartments and homes that are available at much lower than market rate rent, and a thousand of those have been delivered as well. That's a brand new initiative for this government. This government has only been in situ for three years, by the way, not the decades that Roisin's talking about. So in in fairness to the Minister for Housing, there's been a huge swathe of schemes and initiatives that are actually driving uh, the, the number of houses being completed upwards and that's okay. what we want to see and in terms of policy that will drive the cost of houses down the only way you bring the cost of, of houses down is to increase supply that is the policy okay I, 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 i've run i've run over time uh, to balance it out i'll just mention the last line of the social democrats motion which uh, is a proposal if you like these are chambers they uh, call on the government to dramatically increase the delivery of genuinely affordable purchase homes in line with uh, the O'Coolon model which is uh, an existing we support scheme. that and we're doing that okay we leave it there. Thank no, you no. indeed. <laughs> I have to leave. I'm sorry I am over time, but thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, good to have both of you on the programme. Roisin Shortall, Social Democrat TD for Dublin North West, and Lisa Chambers, Fianna Fáil Senator. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, just some comments uh, before we leave you today. Paddy Duffy saying Lisa Chambers stood for election for the last doll. She got her answer, which was no. Uh, she'll get the same answer, he says, after the next election. Thank you indeed uh, for that, uh, as always, Paddy. Quite a, a number of people uh, in touch with us about abortion following the discussion with Rona Mullen. Somebody says it really is every woman's right to have have autonomy 
over their own bodies and what happens to their body. Nobody has the right to push their view on a woman. I'm sorry, Ireland needs to trust women uh, and their right to choose. Uh, another WhatsApp message then from somebody who says, Michael, there are over 3,000 children who are homeless, 800 found in graves. Let women decide for themselves. And these men should butt out. They haven't got a clue how women feel. Uh, Thank you, Ellen, for uh, sending that. Uh, Not everybody uh, agrees. Somebody uh, texted, said, uh, Mary it was. Thanks, Mary, for your text. She says, well said, Ronan Mullen. Uh, Another uh, listener says, I I don't understand why somebody in their 20s gets pregnant and then wants to terminate it. I think there's probably a million reasons and uh, it's not for us to judge. Um, Tom uh, says, there's nothing worse in life than regret uh, when a woman wants an abortion but changes her mind then she can change things adoption or go other avenues but when she has an abortion uh, she may regret it uh, later Um, and uh, I think that probably is the idea of the period of reflection and that's what Mary O'Shea was saying should continue uh, but it shouldn't be mandatory uh, and that would be the recommendation that has gone to government in respect of that Tom but she's asking us to have trust in the GPs who they uh, say the GPs have told her they say that they will know if a woman is hesitant uh, that you know that's their profession they're skilled to understand people um, and if that is the case they might say look would you not hold off a, a few days and see how you feel then um, but otherwise uh, why wait three days or a week almost a week uh, which would be the case if you went to the doctor on a Wednesday going into a long bank holiday weekend like this weekend so if you went to the doctor yesterday it would be Tuesday before the doctor would be able to see you again which is uh, the bones of a week of course uh, we had a lot of discussion uh, on restoring nature and that EU law and indeed uh, re-wetting land on the programme uh, this morning. It's been debated in the European Parliament and uh, there were some eyebrows raised, in particular at how Fine Gael MEPs voted. It is regrettable that some parties in the European Parliament have set their faces against it and in doing so deprived themselves of the ability to influence and improve it. Right, uh, that's Minister Pippa Hackett. Um, some politicians have seized the nature restoration law and blatantly stoked up fears for their own benefit. Not only opposition parties and independents, but also government backbenchers. And of course, they'll have to try and be in favour of it in principles. It's kind of environmental credentials tick, whilst being highly critical of it and satisfying populist demands. I wonder, can we get clarity on what the government's position on the nature restoration law is? Uh, Minister Noonan has said that it's happening. The Taoiseach has said that it's going too far. Uh, A Fianna Gael MEP voted against the law and Fianna Fáil MEPs are not supporting it. So what is the government's actual position on it? Minister, for example, when you're meeting your European counterparts, what exactly are you saying? Mm, yeah, uh, she was putting that to a Green Party minister, Malcolm Noonan. Uh, we heard uh, from another Green Party minister, uh, Pippa Hackett, uh, a moment ago. That, by the way, was uh, the Social Democrats leader, Holly Kearns. You could say she was putting the boot in, or you could say that was just the opposition uh, opposing uh, how the government are are dealing with uh, this. Uh, Pippa Hackett a bit stronger. But wait till you hear this from this Green Party TD. In politics and in history, we recognise the tactic of divide and conquer. However, another tactic, often more effective, 
is to unite a group of people in opposition to the wrong cause. The tactic is to create a distraction and to get people fighting passionately against what might be in their own interests and the interests of the greater good. It suits some in politics and in big business to create a bogeyman of the environmental movement and indeed of the Green Party. We hear the hysterical cries of the agri-food lobby and those in politics who dance to their tune every time the slightest effort is made to change course, even by a few degrees, away from the unsustainable, environmentally calamitous profit for the few status quo. Time and again, politics has yielded and bowed to the most effective lobbying effort in Europe. And so we have seen with the debate on the nature restoration law. We see the EPP, of which Fine Gael are a member in Europe, walk out of talks today. We see Sinn Féin, the main opposition party, joining forces with Fine Gael in Europe. When it comes to seriousness on nature restoration, it seems that these parties, Sinn Féin and Fine Gael, are Tweedledum and Tweedledee. Tweedledum and Tweedledee, a Green Party TD, Brian Ladden, brings our programme to its conclusion. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.